Welcome to the Limitless Grit Podcast, where we have conversations with social entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and ordinary people who are achieving extraordinary results. And now, here is your host, Shristi Gajarel. Hey, you guys, welcome to today's episode of Limitless Grid Podcast. In today's episode, I have none other than Amin Huck. So to give you a little background, Amin has had more than 16 years of experience in advertising, and now he teaches entrepreneurs and big organizations like Google to tell their stories in the most efficient way. Guys, Amin's story is truly remarkable. In this podcast, he talks about being raised by a single mom. He talks about his love for theater. He talks about how he was able to leave his job when he was in height of his career to become an entrepreneur. And he also gives advice on how one can find their purpose in life. Guys, this man is full of wisdom and I am so, so excited to share what I learned from him and hopefully he will inspire you as he has inspired me. So without further ado, Amin Huck. Hey, Amin. Hi. So, Amin, for people who don't know who you are, just give us a little background on yourself and your uh, what you have been doing. Sure. Uh, I grew up uh, as a very shy and reserved kid because I used to stammer. Mm. And I would stammer, I would stutter, I would trail off mid-sentence. Uh, as a result, I was not very outgoing. I would stay at home. Uh, and uh, what would one do uh, staying home much longer than other kids? I would spend my time reading and not reading math or science, but really I was reading up stories. Yeah. Uh, so everyone grows up reading stories, but I'm over-indexed on stories as compared to more. Um, and later on, uh, when I was in grade 7th and 8th, my mother, she enrolled me into speech therapy and elocution and debate and drama and poetry recitation uh, as a way of, you know, helping me overcome my uh, shy and reserved nature and also to help me overcome my stammer. Mm. And all of these helped me a lot. Uh, but out of each one of these, you know, the one that worked best for me was theater. And I fell in love with theater. And I did a lot more theater in school, high school and college than most kids do. And that's what I really wanted to do. But uh, if you're growing up in middle class India, around the time that I was growing up, mm -hmm. uh, um, uh, middle class Indian kids didn't choose theater as a career. Uh, they would choose something that was more paying, uh, <laughs> stability. Uh, and uh, I wasn't uh, any different. I, I chose to study business administration and uh, then worked in sales and consulting and then did a course in advertising from one of the finest institutes in India. I was just, just got lucky to get into that. And we had wonderful campus placements. So I got picked up by Ogilvy, uh, which is one of the finest ad agencies in the world. Mm -hmm. And once I joined advertising and I, I started earning somewhat reasonable money, mm -hmm. I also joined a theater group in the evenings. Wow. So I have this parallel journey. Uh, my day job revolved around advertising and my evening job in theater. Uh, and both of these deal with narratives and stories. And I could see working in both of these mediums that stories have a lot of power, but we don't leverage that in education. We don't leverage that in business outside of advertising. And uh, uh, sensing an opportunity and wanting to make a difference uh, after having worked in advertising and marketing and consulting for about 18 years, I quit and set up the story malas. That's my story. Wow. So what did you do to change yourself from being someone who shuddered to become one of the greatest storytellers in India? <laughs> I, it, it was a slow... Uh, 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 I, first of all, I'm not one of the greatest storytellers in India. I think there are many others uh, uh, who are far better than me. Uh, hundreds of thousands of grandmothers probably, you know, unknown, <laughs> uh, unsung heroes uh, who would be much, much better than me at telling stories. Uh, having said that, you know, if I go back to my own journey, uh, it was a slow and gradual one. Uh, I read a lot of stories and, uh, uh, you know, now I'm, I'm also learning music and one of the you know, Hindustani classical vocal music. 
and you know my lay layman assumption was that you know when i when i go and learn music i i'll go to the music class and i'll be singing mm-hmm. but that was what happened uh, my guruji my teacher came in and he started singing instead and i learned my first lesson in learning which is that you know in order to learn something in order to learn music you don't just sing you listen to a lot mm-hmm. and if i look back at my journey as a storyteller uh, much before i started telling stories i was reading stories and when you read uh, a lot of stories something happens uh, it's like it's like you know if you were to become an artist uh, like a painter you study a lot of art and it's just by seeing a lot of art that you that you develop an appreciation for art mm-hmm. so i was reading a lot of stories i was watching a lot of movies uh, i was watching a lot of television and all of that helped me uh, uh, because you know intuitively you understand you start understanding story structures uh, you start seeing different kind of stories in play uh, your ability to predict endings uh, improves uh, and then i started doing theater i started writing uh, uh, a little bit of poetry elocution debates uh, debate competitions uh, all of that helped uh, in in my journey overcoming stammer you know i think the best advice i got for overcoming stammer uh, stammering was to was to you know somebody told me go on stage uh, and don't try to hide the fact that you stammer mm. that's your biggest problem that you try to hide you know and when you try to hide the fact that you stammer you'll focus all your energy on not stammering and being afraid that you you might stammer and that's the problem so it seems counterintuitive but if you go up on stage and start by saying hey i stammer it's a burden of your shoulders in in many ways you pass on that burden to the audience members and they are willing to sort of take that on and help you with that um it seems counterintuitive but you know the moment you 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 announce that to the world uh, you're already naked uh, in a metaphorical sense and from there on uh, it just keeps getting better So it's a skill of being vulnerable and uh sharing who you are that will help you to be a better speaker because you're not hiding anything else. You're not hiding anything else, yeah. Absolutely. So, um you didn't speak for a long time like you weren't a vocal or public speaker. Did you realize that you you were also like while you were learning those books or while you were learning those dramas, you were also learning to be a better a storyteller when you were a kid or what was the point when you realized that it was everything that you were learning as a kid that helped you to be who you are as a person well that realization dawned much later uh, shrishti you know when i was reading i was just enjoying uh, the fantasy trips uh, uh, and i was just enjoying the stories uh, you don't do that purposefully uh, i was just gravitating towards these stories as any kid would uh these are beautiful worlds conjured up by the authors by the writers um by and i was just enjoying the trip that's all i was doing it wasn't a conscious sort of you know the dots they connect in retrospect mm. uh, but not in a future tense uh they always sort of you know in the rear view mirror if you look it's always easy to explain life in retrospect uh uh but these are like i said you know that's a view in the rear view mirror when i was doing it i was unconscious that i was uh heading towards this uh not at all i was uh hoping that i could you know uh do well in advertising and i i did uh, reasonably well i was hoping that i did i could sort of spare enough time for theater for photography uh for watching movies um uh, and i was just doing all of these because i enjoyed doing this Mm. and uh, there was a moment many years later where i realized that stories are really powerful and uh, you know when we use them in advertising you are influencing people to choose a brand over another brand and uh, i said hey stories have this kind of power can we use that in education you know if you think about education a lot of learning in india happens through rote learning by mucking up things and uh, you know a lot of what you learn through rote learning you tend to forget so there is a huge leakage in the problem 
but what you what you never forget is what you learn through a story so stories embed you know themselves into your memory stories embed content into memory and i said hey that's powerful you know if we could teach things through stories you know it reduces leakage in the education system so can stories be used in the education system that was my first sort of uh, hunch uh, that led me to start storywalas and this happened uh, almost around uh, 18 years of after working in advertising so it was a very slow realization <laughs> wow so how can stories be used in education uh, think about this you know what i'm going to say you know if you close your eyes and think about the, the favorite subject that you had in class mm-hmm. in school for most of us it would correlate to our favorite teacher as well similarly if you were to think about the subject that you like the least it even that would correlate very strongly with the teacher you like the least is the teacher that makes a subject likable or less likable but you know uh, but most teachers become teachers by doing a b.ed course a bachelor's in education or a diploma in education or a montessori course uh, none of these courses teach teachers how to be storytellers in the class and there's a big gap there and i said hey storytelling you know what you're really doing is you're turning teachers into storytellers let me give an example uh can you please tell me what is a pythagoras theorem <laughs> uh, i don't know does it sound familiar it does it does the reason it sounds familiar is because you studied it in grade 7th or 8th but you forgot on it uh can you can you please tell me what is the archimedes principle it's a good question uh i could google it <laughs> <laughs> it sounds does it sound familiar the it does archimedes? the reason it sounds familiar is because you studied it but you know you forgot on it now let me ask you a question you know uh would you remember the mon- uh, the hare and the tortoise yeah well you didn't study the hare and the tortoise recently uh you studied it a long time back and all i have to do is just say the hare and the tortoise and it comes back to you in a flash what you studied in grade 7th or 8th archimedes and pythagoras and these were important concepts and some of these were sure fire exam questions so you you revise them you rehearse them despite all that work you have forgotten those concepts but you you remember the story you may not remember day before yesterday's newspaper headline but you remember the story of a movie that you saw 5 years ago that's what stories do stories embed content in memory our brains are hardwired to remember stories how powerful could that be if we were to use stories as a way to teach that's true um what makes a good story couple of things uh structure uh content itself and the way it is delivered uh, i work with a simple definition of stories truth well told uh there are two parts to that uh truth uh, good stories have to be authentic they have to be rooted uh in something authentic and uh, but uh, just truth that isn't enough you know they also need to be well told they need to be delivered well and that's where uh the presentation the articulation the use of words the vocabulary the visualization and the presenter's craft in telling the story comes in great content meeting great uh, uh, delivery that's what a good story is Um in a Google talk you gave an example of truth and story which I I would love you to share that story as well. <laughs> It's one of my favorite stories uh, actually and uh, you know this is how it goes a long time ago and that's how stories begin don't they <laughs> you know a long while ago there there was this man you know uh, he had a wide flowing beard and a interesting jacket with a lot of pockets and a very interesting design on that jacket and wherever this old man went people would call out to him and they would say hey 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 old man can you please come and spend some time with us can you please come and have some tea and cake with us can you please come and have some wine and cheese with us old man we love you we love listening to stories from you would you please come and spend some time with us now wherever this guy went people called out and they reached out to him and they loved spending time with him. at the same time in this world there was a woman and wherever this lady went people shut their doors and windows nobody liked her obviously this lady was very upset so she goes to this old man and confronts him and says why is it that wherever you go you are welcomed and wherever i go i am turned away who are you 
the old man, he just smiled and he shrugged his shoulders. And he says, I am story. Who are you? And the lady, she retorts and she says, I am truth. Now you see, that's the problem with the world. Everybody likes the story, but nobody likes the truth. So the old man had the wisdom to know that truth is very important in the world. And he said, listen, listen, you know, why don't you come along with me? Uh, there is much more hospitality than the than I require for myself. There is much more tea and cake than I need for myself. There is much more wine and cheese than I need for myself. I could share that with you. Why don't you just come along with me? And that's exactly what Truth did. Truth jumped into Story's pocket. And since that day, it is said, wherever Story goes, you can find Truth. Mm, that's, that's beautiful. How can one be a better storyteller and deliver truth in a beautiful way. Is is there a way or a technique that we can use that in day-to-day -day life? Yes. Uh, that, you know, I have always believed, uh, Shishri, that it's not just what you say, but also how you say it that makes a lot of difference. So to me, good storytelling is, is a combination of what you say and how you say it. But even before that comes intent and the choice of a good story. Uh, so... Uh, and I'll come back to intent, you know, one, and and the choice of a good story a little later. Uh, but I, you know, let let it suffice to say this at this point of time that the role of a storyteller is not just telling a story, but also choosing the right story to tell. Uh, and that's where intent comes in. Having said that, uh, uh, and moving on to the second part of this is uh, is and this is where the skill of a storyteller comes in. Is it's not just what you say, but how you say it. Let me give an example from life. There are people who may have said no to you for something and your friendship with them is broken. And there are others who may have said no for the same thing and you're still friends with them. And the difference is not what they said. Both of them said no. But the difference is in how they said it. Let me give you another example, you know, from an office uh, uh, context in an office setting. Uh, suppose you're working with a boss. And uh, it's appraisal time and the boss decides to give you feedback and boss is in the really happy mood. And he's uh, uh, also in a very honest, honest mood and he wants to give you uh, uh, honest feedback. And he's telling you all the things that uh, you lack. Uh, he's pointing out all the weaknesses and he's pointing out all the things that, you know, aren't going well uh, at work. And he is not sugarcoating it. He is giving it to you as it is. And you come out of that room hating that guy. You come out of that room crying with tears in your eyes. You come out of that room and say, I never want to work with this guy again. Fast forward to another office, another person. It's appraisal time. And this person is also in an honest mood. And he points out all the shortcomings. But in doing so, this person makes you believe that he believes in you. This person makes you believe that he believes that, you know, you could be much better if you corrected a few things. And in doing so, while he's pointing out exactly the same flaws, he is making you feel much better. And you go out of that room happy, saying, what a wonderful guy. I want to work with this boss forever. So that's what I mean when I say it's not just what you say, but how you say it that makes all the difference. And and that's where intent also plays a part. Because if your intent is correct, then you'll find the right words and you'll find the right way of saying it. So it's not just a story. It's about being sympathetic and empathetic and figuring out a way to deliver in a way that will get the result, but at the same time doesn't make them feel like they're doing something wrong. Absolutely. It's about empathy. You know, if you look, if you go back, you know, you know, and, and there is, you know, the, if you look at the modern storytelling movement, you know, you'll find a lot of story coaches, you'll find a lot of uh, 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 story advisors that fo who focus on, you know, starting with a positive, uh, etc. To me, you know, these are, these are cliches and these are traps. To me, you know, what's much more important is starting with the right intent. If you go back to simple people, you know, uh, uh, you know, village elders, if you go back to simple people like like a grandfather who gave you the advice, you know, it came with the right intent and they were able to do it much better without having learned storytelling in any storytelling school or without having learned storytelling from any story coach. They were just able to do it much better because the intent was there.
So I want to go back to your career. Um, so in advertising, it looks like you are doing really well for yourself. And, you know, I come from a middle class family in Nepal as well. And like Nepal and India has similar culture. And I'm sure if I'm like top of the game in my career and if I told my family I want to quit my job and start my own thing, they would not be happy with it. What was your family's reaction when you told them that you want to be an entrepreneur and start your own thing? <laughs> and that, that's a very interesting question, you know. Uh, I, I have I have been raised by a single parent, my mother, mm. uh, who was a teacher in a college, and uh, so you know, I'm just explaining that so that you know that our uh, uh, when I say middle class, I really mean middle class. You know, a teacher's family, uh, you know, struggles to make ends meet. A teacher never gets paid enough, you know. And in India, in any case, I believe teachers are underpaid. So, you know, if that's the that's the historical sort of context uh, to my family. You know, I have two elder brothers and, and in my extended family as well, if I look at my uh, aunts and uncles and my cousins, uh, you know, they are largely, you know, employees. They are doctors, they are engineers, and there are teachers in our family. There isn't really anyone who's an entrepreneur. So when I start, when I decided to do this, I was one of the first entrepreneurs in the family, and uh, uh, their reactions were very positive uh, uh, because uh, you know being an entrepreneur comes with risk, uh, being an entrepreneur comes with uh, uh, you know lack of stability, uh, and and storytelling itself is such an abstract idea, right? You know. Mm-hmm. So I remember my mother asking me three questions. The first question was, you know, and. Uh, you know how, how uh, you know my mother's a Malayali, so they speak with a you know Malayali speak with a lot of sarcasm. You know her question was, ah, I mean, so what is it that you're going to do? Storytelling, <laughs> is it? So that was the first question. So I said, yeah, <laughs> yes, it's storytelling. Hmm. Acha, storytelling. The second question then which follows this is, so you think people will actually pay you money to listen to your stories? <laughs> and I'm going, uh, I don't know. Uh, I'm not sure. I haven't tried it out. There's only one way of knowing by doing it. But I honestly, at this point, I don't know. So the third question is, hmm, so you don't know. And then comes the third question. Are you out of your mind? <laughs> So these are the three questions I got from my mother oh my God. when I was starting out. Uh, but then, you know, it's been wonderful since then. I I took her with me when I was telling stories at a school for autistic kids. And she was sitting in the last row. This was uh, about six months after I had started telling stories. And I, after, about six months after I had started Storywalas. And when she saw the delight on the faces of the children, uh, when she saw the joy uh, on my face and when she saw the connection between the storyteller and the and the listeners, she knew that I was having a great time. She knew the kids were having a great time. And she knew that this is, this is something that I was happy doing. Mm. And she made peace with that. Not just that, you know. Uh, after that, she started accompanying me for many of these storytelling sessions. And whenever she's in Bangalore, whenever I'm performing, you know, which is where I live, and whenever she is, uh, uh, whenever I'm performing at a place uh, uh, that is accessible to her, she's 80 now, uh, she's there enjoying, laughing, listening, and having a great time. Wow. Um, that's beautiful. Um, a lot of people, when they start a business or entrepreneurship, they start for, like, wrong reasons. For them, it's like, oh, I want to make money or I want to get fame. For you, it looks like you were working for 18 years and you had been in this journey knowing or unknowingly for like ever since you were a kid and you made that choice because it was a right choice for you and because you really knew what your why was. And uh, I mean, from my personal experience, I think for you to be a great storyteller or be great at anything, you need to know what your why is. So for like millennials or people listening right now, what suggestion would you give that will help them figure out what their why is or that will help them to go in the right path of where they should be going? Uh, you know, I, I, I would say two things, you know. 
you know, before I come to the why, you know, I must tell you that, you know, I had worked for 18 years. I had secured my financial position in the sense that I paid off my loans and I was in a comfortable position to take a risk. I wasn't sure about the money that would come in. So, uh, but I was, I was sure about what would give me joy. And I had a hunch. I hadn't done market research, but I had a very strong instinct that uh, there would be a market for what I would have to offer, which was really uh, uh, story consulting and being a story coach and telling stories and training people how to be better storytellers. So I had an instinct. I followed that instinct. I had a, you know, I knew that I would enjoy doing that. And I also had an instinct or a hunch that, you know, there would be a market for that. Uh, I had to go out, validate that hypothesis. And it took some time doing that. And the money took some time coming in. But it come, it came in eventually. And we broke even uh, uh, within one and a half years. Uh, so I would say, you know, first, you know, entrepreneurship should never be, you know, nothing should be done with these for the for the purpose of just money because you know eventually you know uh, you have, you spend eight to twelve to sometimes eighteen hours in a day doing what you need to do in order to make that money. You might as well love it, or you are going to have a bad time making that money. Uh, I was lucky in that sense that you know I was I stumbled upon you know and I was able to zero in on what I really love doing. And I could make a living doing that. Uh, but I, I do remember, you know, my English teacher telling me that, you know, if you love making shoes, go ahead and make shoes. Because if you love making shoes, your love will show in the shoes you make. And when your love shows, you know, people would love it eventually. Well, that's beautiful. And I think it's especially hard for, I mean, someone from like Southeast Asia because... Everyone wants your kid to be a doctor or engineer. And even if someone loves to be a hairdresser, I don't think it's as acceptable in South Asia as it is, I would say, in the United States. So I think that's something, you know, people would have to really pursue to convince their loved ones like you had to pursue to convince your mom, right? Yeah, that's that's absolutely true. It's not easy. We are still sort of, you know, uh, a nation that chooses uh, uh, our jobs based on uh, money, uh, how much money we can make. We are still, uh, you know, and that's largely to do with the economic circumstances that we have here. A lot of people uh, moving up the economic ladder, coming out of scarcity, coming out of historical poverty, and therefore uh, securing financial well-being is important. Uh, but, you know, uh, for a nation that is coming out of that now, I think there are... Uh, there are opportunities uh, where the the younger folks, the younger generation, can take risks and can you know another way of saying what I'm trying to say is that you know job satisfaction and money they don't have to be either or they don't have to be zero one they don't have to be binaries uh, you shouldn't have to choose between the two of them they could be and yeah. and you know coming back to the question about you know entrepreneurs. I would say, you know, choose something which is and, not either or. Um, like from researching you, I've, you know, learned that you say that your story of your failure should go viral. Because if your story of failure don't go viral, then your failure goes viral. Explain why it's important to be comfortable failing. All new and all innovation, you know, if you, you know, comes from failure. Let me explain what I mean. You know, what is innovation by definition? By definition, innovation is a better way of doing something. But to find that better way, you know, you will have to you will have to do something which hasn't been done before. That is innovation. Now, if you have not done that before, you are not likely to do it very well the first time around. Think about the first time. Think about the first time you rode a cycle. What happened? You fell down. Think about the first time you baked bread. What happened? Uh, innovation is much like that. Uh, when you do something for the first time around, it's very probable that you're not likely to succeed. It's very probable that you're going to fail. So uh, innovation requires comfort with failure. 
and uh, it also requires perseverance edison you know uh, had to persevere with filament to get tungsten and eventually he got the light bulb right uh, but he failed multiple times uh, and a lot of times people are not comfortable sharing their failure stories uh, particularly in southeast asia where we put a higher you know value on success we are we are not comfortable talking our, our, about our failures because you know uh, right from our school school system itself right from an early age uh, we have a high uh, uh, importance and a very high value attached to succeeding succeeding mm-hmm. in academics succeeding in sports succeeding in every walk of life uh, and we tend to you know brush the failure aside we tend to sort of you know sweep the failure uh under a under a carpet and rather not talk about it but if you don't talk about your failure particularly as a leader if i don't talk about my failure and what i learned from it uh it's very likely that somebody else is going to make the same mistakes in my team so we have you know if you don't institutionalize the learning from failures uh in your team in your organization in your company then others are going to m- make the same mistakes again so it's very important to institutionalize the learnings from failure uh, which is why i say failure stories don't go viral the same failures are going to repeat themselves uh, that's what i meant when i said uh, if failure stories are not going viral failures will so what are some of the failures that have um helped you to be who you are today well there are quite a few of them <laughs> if we are all human uh, at some level and what makes us human is that we fail i have failed multiple times uh, uh you know my the first play that i wrote uh i still remember that play you know i wrote that play when i was in grade 9th i thought i had written a fantastic play uh at that point of time i thought you know it was wonderful and uh, i couldn't trust anyone else to direct it uh, so i i took it upon myself to direct it and then i thought the characters that i had written in the play they were so complex that i must cast myself in the play uh, uh to play the lead role um and i went ahead and sort of directed that play there aren't too many words in english dictionary that can describe the experience of a play like that but if there's one word that comes close maybe it is pathetic it was so bad it was so bad shrishti that there are still many people walking this planet scarred by the experience now my first taste was failure uh uh as a as a theater actor as a director as a as a theater person but my teachers were wonderful my teachers they said i mean what you're doing is awesome do more and they had no idea that i would take their words seriously and they would have to suffer a lot after that uh but they kept encouraging me and that's what uh uh success requires success requires tolerance for failure Elon Musk uh says that you know if you're not failing enough then you are not innovating enough. Mm. You hate the word awesome. To tell us why you hate that word. <laughs> I I just use it but the reason I no no I don't hate it. Uh I just uh, think it's symptomatic of shrinking vocabularies. And uh, our vocabularies are shrinking. Uh and awesome is a good example and a good proof of that uh the reason i say our vocabularies are shrinking is you know and i feel that you know to be able to convey emotion you need language mm. and in kind of language and you know, it could be verbal vocabulary but you need words to convey emotion uh you need words to paint a picture you need words to transport people from one place to another you need words to make connections and build bridges uh that's how we communicate and that's how we convey ideas but when vocabulary shrink we have lesser words available to uh convey our ideas and uh with the younger generation i do feel uh that uh, our vocabularies are shrinking we communicate through emojis uh, uh we communicate through uh I, music is language you know visuals are language uh there are multiple kinds of language but again you know when vocabulary in music shrinks then we have repetitive kind of music uh when uh, uh the visual vocabulary shrinks then we have repetitive images uh 
to convey you know the same kind of feelings and that's the problem with uh, emojis and you know when we have many of them and we have a diversity of emojis then uh, i think we have a good vocabulary there now coming back to awesome you know i do a lot of work with kids and uh, when i ask kids uh, to describe a feeling they often have just one word awesome for example uh, you know if you were to ask the kid hey you went to mcdonalds for a birthday party how was that you know you had french fries and burger how was that awesome <laughs> if you ask, hey you went and saw jungle book you saw that in 3d how was that movie awesome hey you went for a sleepover you had a pajama party how was that awesome everything seems to be awesome and in my mind i am thinking one day this kid is going to grow up one day this kid is going to fall in love one day this kid is going to kiss someone for the first time one day this kid is going to make love to someone for the first time what will they come back and say awesome <laughs> they already use that word for french fries so you see when vocabulary shrink we have lesser words to convey deeper emotions uh and i think awesome is just symptomatic uh of that but it's just a word yeah so you in order to be a great storyteller you need to have good vocabulary as well you need to have good vocabulary yeah that goes without saying you need to have good vocabulary and when i say that you know what i mean by vocabulary is all kinds of vocabularies you need to have good body language if you are in the performing arts space uh, uh you need to be able to convey a lot with your body with your voice uh, uh with your uh, eyes with the words that you choose with the music that you decide to play with the visuals that you create all of these are languages but you need to have rich vocabulary in all of these languages yeah i'm definitely going to work on my vocabulary <laughs> uh so i mean just researching you it looks like you're someone who's very successful but very humble as well and in your talks you give example of you know sachin tendulkar who's like the god of cricket and this other guy vinod kumbli who started better than sachin but was not able to accomplish as much as sachin did and do you want to share that story and why is it important to be humble yeah that's a that's a very interesting story uh, uh you know sachin tendulkar is considered the god of cricket uh not just in india but all over the world he's one of the finest cricketers uh to have played the game and uh the interesting thing is that you know the same year that sachin made his debut which was 1989 another guy made debut his name is vinod kamli and uh what many people don't know is that for 5 years for 1989 1990 the guy who had the better and higher batting average was vinod kamli and not sachin tendulkar now batting average really is uh, a measure of how good a batsman you are you when you score consistently match after match higher runs in in every format of the game and there are three formats of cricket then you end up with a higher batting average and that's exactly what vinod kamli was doing and and there are numbers to prove that then what happened you know and what happened to vinod kamli and why did he retire much earlier than uh, sachin tendulkar there was one problem with vinod kamli and that was attitude uh, and uh, you know he a lot of people say this and you know a lot of people know this that he let uh, his success go to his head the difference between him and sachin tendulkar was that sachin tendulkar uh, while he had a slightly lower batting average than vinod kamli he outplayed vinod kamli he outlived vinod kamli in you know in a very short lived uh, uh, career uh, you know sports is a very short lived and a very short shelf life career uh, but sachin really lasted very long and uh, the reason for that is one sachin was very humble two he was very passionate about the game he never let success go to his head thirdly you know and and this is one of the uh now a lot of people know about this but 
uh, earlier many people didn't know this outside the cricketing fraternity that Sachin Tendulkar worked hard. He worked very, very hard. He would go to the nets and the nets is where you practice uh, uh, in the morning before the before the matches. He would be the first one to be at the nets, much before anybody else. And that never changed, you know, even 10 years later after Sachin made his debut and, you know, 10 years later, you know, Sachin was already gone. He was one of the best cricketers mm -hmm. and there were many young cricketers who aspired to be like Sachin. But Sachin had the humility and the hunger to be at the nets before the younger players as well. Wow. So it's persistent and, and consistent. Yeah, that's a lesson that all of us can learn from Sachin, to be humble, to stay rooted and to, and to be passionate about what we do. Mm. Wow. Have you read this book, Mindset, by Carol Dweck? No, I haven't, but I'm going to make a note right now. <laughs> it's a, that's an amazing book, and I think Bill Gates recommended 2015 or 2016, but it's about how um, fixed mindset and growth mindset, and it, she explains why most successful in this world are not the most talented, but they are the ones who have a growth mindset and they understand that even if they are not successful at this current moment, they could be successful just if they just are persistent and consistent and put in the work. It's a really good book. I think you'll love it. Um, also, you um, explain how in order to be a great leader, you need to be a great storyteller. And after I listened to your talk, I've been like noticing a lot. Like Martin Luther King Jr. was a great storyteller or Mahatma Gandhi was a great storyteller. But can someone be a great leader without being a good storyteller? Uh, very difficult uh, in today's day and age. Uh, we will have a few exceptions. Donald Trump is one of them. <laughs> uh, uh, but I would say that would be very rare. Look around you and you will find that, you know, be it uh, 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 political leaders, be it business leaders or uh, spiritual leaders, you'll find that, you know, some of the, the best in any of these three categories are also wonderful storytellers. Okay. Take business leaders, Jack Welch, GE, uh, in India, Narayan Murthy, the founder of Infosys, Azim Premji, the founder of Wipro, uh, Steve Jobs, Elon Musk, Richard Branson, mm. all of them wonderful, wonderful storytellers. If you look at politics, uh, or public life, Mahatma Gandhi, like you said, Martin Luther King, uh, Barack Obama, Jawaharlal Nehru, wonderful leaders, wonderful storytellers as well. Mm. I feel like they know, knew their truth, they knew their passion, passion, and they also knew how to word it in a way that's relatable to other people. Well, the thing with leadership is that, you know, no leader can win a war by themselves, right? Uh, and when I say win a war, I mean that in the metaphorical sense. What you're doing really is, you know, uh, a leader is a leader only because of the followers, right? So no captain has won a war by himself. You know, you need an army behind you. And the leader's job is to communicate those ideas and mobilize that army for the cause. It could be business. You could be in the spiritual sort of uh, uh, sphere of life or you could be in the political sphere. But a leader's job is to convey the ideas so that, you know, those ideas are not just yours, but, you know, owned by and championed by others so that others make your ideas their own. Mm -hmm. You find common ground and, and you know, uh, and you channelize uh, uh, those people through communication. So, you know, the essence of leadership is uh, the ability to paint a picture of the world that you are trying to create. And when you create that world uh, and when you're able to convey uh, uh, what that world looks like, people raise their hands and say, hey, I want to go to that world. I want a passport to that world. And people mobilize and channelize their actions and energies uh, uh, for that cause. That's what leadership is about. That's so true. Um, I just finished reading Steve Jobs' biography. And I mean, he was not the nicest person, but people loved him because he painted a picture and he knew where he wanted to take them and they just trusted him. Like he was a great storyteller. Absolutely. And, you know, uh, he was 
he was very good at painting a picture of that world uh, elon musk is is very good at painting a picture of the world that he's creating and uh, and uh, and we are aligned to that world view and the people who are aligned to that world view they raise their hands and say hey i want a passport to that world i want to the, a passport to that world uh, that you are building uh, and, and and we buy that passport to the products uh, uh, services and ideas uh, that these people create so if someone wants to be a same sort of leader in a smaller scale from what you're saying it's they have to be precise on what they want to create what kind of world they want to create they might not want to create like apple or anything but if they want to start a small business they want to be precise and reach out to people and share their vision with the world absolutely and not just in business but all kinds of business social change for example you know greenpeace what kind of world are you creating amnesty international what kind of world are you creating uh, uh, you are working in the area of sustainability what's your vision of the world and can you evoke a picture of the world that you are creating what happens in that world what would that world look like what kind of people live in that world what's life like that what's life like in that world and can you contrast that world with the current world that we live in and 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 when you contrast that world with this world you know then people say hey that world looks much better than the world that i live in you know i want to go there mm. and they raise their hands and they buy into your products into your ideas or your cause so it could be social change mm. and i i you know and having worked uh, across various sectors you know i have figured that you know uh, uh, people love your vision if your vision is aligned to their vision <laughs> yeah. so it's really about figuring out where people want to go and uh, like seth seth godin says uh, uh, you know people buy into a story that you articulate for them yeah. it's actually their own story yeah. they they just didn't have words for it they didn't know it themselves but they buy into a story that you articulate for them people want a cleaner world you are able to paint a picture of that and you are able to create that and they vote for you that's deep people want a sustainable world yeah and you know people want a world where you know you are not a slave to technology but technology is so simple and intuitive that it 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 speaks to you and it makes it easy for you you know steve jobs created that world and he painted a picture of that world and people voted for it and they bought and they bought into that world i love seth gordon by the way i just finished reading lynchpin um, i love him yeah um i want to ask you some questions just to get to know you a little bit more um so if you could be one person for a day who would you be I would definitely not want to be like anybody rich or famous mm-hmm. instead I would like to be mm, maybe lead the life of a prisoner in a solitary confinement <laughs> so that I could come back and value my freedom Wow that's good or uh, maybe you know i would like to be someone who's very poor and suffering from terminal illness uh somebody who's a week away from certain death so that i could come back and be more grateful for the life that i have currently and so that i push myself to do more much more with the time that i have got wow i don't that's the best answer i've got so far that was good um wow what's your favorite movie or documentary <laughs> well there are quite a few and it would be hard to pick a single one mm-hmm. uh there there are lots of them uh but there's one that stands out there's a hindi bollywood film called main azad hoon which is based on a old hollywood movie by uh frank capra called meet john doe uh and it's a it's a very interesting story meet john doe do look it up uh, uh i think it's it was made in the 1940s or the 50s uh it's about an actor who eventually becomes the character that uh, he is essaying hmm, i definitely check it out uh what advice would you give to a 20 year old self slow down walk more read more talk more love more slow down hmm. i think we definitely need this advice <laughs> um if you could relive one moment in your life which one would you choose and why i have had a beautiful past and the reason uh, the reason memory and story exist is so that one can relive the past so in any case i am reliving my past through memory through the stories so 
I would say the answer to your question is none. There is not a single moment that I would choose to relive because I'm already reliving them through through memory, through stories, but I wouldn't want to go back in time. I would like to move forward in time. So I, I look forward to tomorrow. Hmm. Awesome. Uh, so who's the first person you think of when you hear success? Success? Mm-hmm. Uh, my mother. Uh, but the honest answer is actually, you know, uh, yeah, my mother would be one of them. But uh, when I hear the word success, well, there isn't one person. Uh, to me, success, you know, means a life lived well, lived with joy and happiness. Uh, so anyone who dies without regrets would be successful in my eye. I, I just want to follow up on my own question with this one. So there are so many people in 20s, like I see like a lot of my friends who know what they want to do with their life, who know where they want to go with their career, but they don't do that because the job they're doing now is paying them so much more. So what advice would you give to someone who knows what their purpose is, who knows what direction they should be going in life, but the only thing that's stopping them is fear? Well, fear is real. You know, I wouldn't say, you know, that, you know, live without fear because it's not possible to live without fear. Uh, fear is part of life. It is. Uh, but, uh, you know, here's what I would say. The See, you know, if you if you think about courage itself and the idea of courage, uh, I like this notion that, you know, uh, courage is really the ability to do something despite being afraid. Mm. It is about, you know, presence of fear and yet doing something. So it's it's not, you know, courage is not the absence of fear, but doing something uh, while being afraid and still going ahead and doing it. Not worrying about what others will think, not worrying about. Uh, so it's about having belief and having the conviction and acting on that conviction and acting on that belief. So it's belief plus action. So I would just say, you know, just go ahead and do it. So easy to say, right? <laughs> it's so hard. It's easy to say. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And you you just nailed it. It's easy to say, but it's difficult to do. And the reason it's difficult to do and the reason courage is difficult is because courage is not in the absence of fear. It is actually courage is action in the presence of fear. Hmm. And that's what makes it difficult. Yeah. I've never heard that, but that's that's one of the best I've heard. Like action in presence of fear. Awesome. That is courage, right? You know, what else is courage? Mm-hmm. That's true. I mean, my whole focus of my podcast is to to do something courageous. This is something that I've been thinking about for a long time, but it took me a lot to start this because this is something that I'm scared of, but I want to do it despite being scared because I know meeting people like you and sharing your idea and vision is going to make a difference in people's life who are actually going to listen and apply it in their lives. And and you deal with the fear every time, you know, it's not, it's, you know, you're still actually, you know, it's your podcast, your list of hundred people, you're doing it. Uh, it's not without fear. You actually deal with the fear every time you deal with the fear of rejection. Hey, I'm going to write mail to this guy, uh, 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 to this lady. I, you know, I don't know whether she's going to accept or reject. You deal with the fear of rejection. You deal with the fear of uh, 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 poor connectivity. You deal with the fear of, you know, every every day we deal with that. And and to me, that is courageous uh, uh, action. Action in the presence of fear. Mm, love it. What are I know you read a lot. What are some of the books that you would recommend? Uh, one of my favorites is Jungle Book. <laughs> I recommend that, uh, and I, I strongly recommend that we go back to that again and again. And I recommend that purely because you know we should believe in miracles, uh, because we should believe in uh, uh, in happy endings. Uh, you know, a lot of people, you know, a lot of parents and a lot of teachers ask me, you know, what is a good age uh, where we should sort of shake kids up and tell them, hey, 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 you know, uh, Santa is not for real. Uh, hey, 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 fairies are not for real. Uh, Tooth fairy is not for real. And I say, what's the hurry? What's the hurry? Uh, let them live in this world of fantasy. Let them li- you know, believe in happy endings because it's only those who who can imagine 
fantasy situations it's only those that who, who can imagine alternate scenarios not real ones but you know alternate scenarios to the real world that exist it's those people who are inventors who are uh, uh, who are magicians it's it's these guys who make magic happen it's these guys who invent new kind of stuff because you know they believe that magic is possible so we need to give them the gift of fantasy we need to give ourselves the gift of fantasy so that you know it's it's these people who make innovations happen so i would say jungle book book of fairies you know uh, read those books i i also love uh, uh, and i am rereading currently where the sidewalk ends this is a book of poetry by uh, one of my favorite poets uh, shel selvestein mm. i recommend this for the magic of poetry and for stories told in verse uh yeah and the last book that has influenced me quite a bit you know though i'm sure you know a lot of us have read the iron rand uh, uh favorite fountain head uh but the one that i've i've been gravitating to more uh, of late has been the last book by the german author called hermann hess and the last book that he wrote uh, it's called the glass bead game i'm not going to describe the book i'm not going to give you an explanation of what's there and i hope it you know it fuels your curiosity to go and look it up um uh, what is one mantra or a quote you live by um i like a quote from a movie that i saw uh if you okay i could share that you know there's this movie called the exotic marigold hotel mm. and uh, it has a quote uh, and it goes something like this everything will be all right in the end and if it is not all right it is not the end i just love that quote uh, because you know, i i am i am a die hard optimist and uh, and you speak about uh, the mantra you know i don't really have a mantra but i do believe this that one doesn't have control over the cards that life deals to you we don't choose our parents we don't choose the economic condition that we are born into we don't choose the religion one is born into these are all accidents of birth just like the random distribution of cards but i also believe that it is not the cards you have but what you do with them that matters uh. so we have control over the cards but if you don't pack up if you continue to play you will get the right cards we have a little bit of everyone has a little bit of bandwidth it's like that game that we play here in india called rummy it's a card game and you know you are dealt cards by someone you pick this pick those cards up you start playing the game and every once in a while you have opportunity to change one card just a little bit of uh, elbow room is there and if you keep playing you never know how can one be as optimistic as you are is there a way is there any other way to live life i i i don't think there's any other way to live life uh, uh life can be very you know uh, if you don't live with optimism it can be very difficult to live so uh, i just believe that you know one has to one has to look at the sunnier side of things one has to look at the glass half full and uh, and that's what some of the best stories tell us and there's a reason why all all of mankind gravitates to these kind of stories we need them we need hope what is life without hope when you lose hope that's when we lose life or the will to live wow so i think it's fundamental to human existence and that's why you know some of some of the most popular and some of the most powerful stories in the world are stories that reaffirm our belief in life our belief in good and uh, these are stories that give us hope wow I mean that was awesome. So if people want to find you and what you are doing, where should they find you? storywalas.com. 
Facebook, Amin Haq, Facebook Story Walas, mm. Twitter Story Walas. That's my handle. I will put that in my show notes. Um, I mean, what a pleasure. Thank you so, so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Thank you. It has been a pleasure talking to you, Shishti. I have rarely been asked the kind of questions that you asked. So, you know, you made me think and you made me think hard. Uh, thank you for making me think hard. Uh, uh, you know, it's the questions that make a conversation interesting. And uh, you have a knack for asking the right kind of questions. Uh, Thank you. That, uh, the, the gift of asking questions and the right questions is a rare gift. Hey, you guys. Thank you so, so much for listening to this podcast. I really, really appreciate your time. And if you enjoyed this episode, then make sure to subscribe. Because every single week, I will come up with awesome and epic interviews like this one. And do not forget to check out my website, limitlessgrid.com, for show notes.